0: This is the Tan Report. I'm your host Tom Trung. And this week on the podcast, the honorable Jeffrey Martin Landry will now receive the
1: oath of office.
0: I'm starting with the recent inauguration of Louisiana's 57th governor, Republican Jeff Landry.
1: I, Jeffrey Martin Landry. Jeffrey Martin Landry, do solemnly swear. Do solemnly swear that I will support
0: Before he became governor, Landry was the attorney general for Louisiana. He's a staunch conservative who MAGA Republicans can easily get behind. He's pro-guns, anti-woke, and backed by former President Donald Trump. During his run for governor, Landry made public safety and cracking down on criminals central campaign themes. For his inaugural speech, Governor Landry invited a mother and father who suffered terrible losses because of violent crime.
1: Today, I recognize and honor two extraordinarily brave and relentless citizens, Mr. Michelle Anglin and Mr. Cortez Collins. Michelle and Cortez lost their life when their children were taken from them by senseless acts of violence. More sadly, they represent the many parents, the brothers, the sisters, the aunts, the uncles, the cousins in our state that wake up every morning from the nightmare of losing a loved one to cruel, unconscionable and senseless violence. We owe no higher obligation as public service servants than to fix this, to fix it now and to fix it for good. To Michelle and Cortez, I say, May God rest his hand on your heart. And I pledge to do everything I can to possibly make this state safer. And to bring an end to the misguided, deadly tolerance for crime and criminals that plague us.
0: While Landry isn't known for being a unifier, He wove in some calls for unity into his speech.
1: The place is here and the time is now and the challenge is ours. But may we be mindful of the fact that how we carry out our public service is what shall separate politicians from statesmen. For our people did not send us here to quarrel over the senseless, the personal, the trivial, or
0: the political. On paper, Governor Landry and state Republicans shouldn't have to quarrel with Democrats in advancing their plans and policies.
2: We're moving into kind of a brand new world. We now have Republicans in full control of the state's political system, a new governor in the governor's mansion, Republicans having holding sway over all statewide executive offices, and also now Republicans having super majorities in both chambers of the legislature. So absolutely full control they can pretty much do whatever they want without any assistance from the Democratic Party. That's Dr. Ed Shervenak. I am a political scientist here at the
0: University of New Orleans. I am also the director of the UNO Survey Research Center. Around this time last year, I sat down with Dr. Shervenak to get his thoughts on what the major political stories in Louisiana would be for 2023. Back then, he said it would be the governor's race. Landry won that race easily earning more than 50% of the votes and avoiding a runoff in Louisiana's so-called jungle primary. Now that Landry is in the governor's mansion, I figured it'd be a good time to revisit Shervinack to see what may come from the Landry administration and a Republican-run state government. So I would expect certainly conservative Republican policies, some what we would call anti-woke
2: legislation, LGBTQ legislation, anti-transgender for Youth and children. I think we should expect some of this culture, each
0: culture warrior type issues that we've seen in other states. And the governor kind of injected some of that in his speech, talking about education that parents should drive, yeah. education for kids, and you know teachers and perhaps school districts shouldn't be the ones setting the agenda for stuff that may be not appropriate for children. Right. That they were alluding to the transgender issues that we've been hearing about. So this
2: idea of parental freedom and and basically having parental control over what the the schools are teaching. Uh, You know, there's this idea that the schools are indoctrinating students and so they want to get, try basically pass legislation to to get away from that. So I think the cultural issues would be there. The abortion issue seems to be pretty set in the state. I don't think there's going to be any Changes, you know, I don't think there may be any exceptions added to the strict laws that are already there. So we'll probably see some of the cultural issues and pro-business regulation, um, low-tax type of environment in, in the effort to bring business here because Louisiana lags behind the rest of the South. We see this you know other southern states are booming in population. Their economies are growing. You know the only thing we're experiencing is a brain drain. I'm looking out at all my class, and I know a number of these students are not going to be here in Louisiana. They're going to leave. They're going to go to Atlanta or Nashville. And so that's that's basically the main goal for the governor is to stop that brain drain, bring business here because people move to where the jobs are.
0: If there were jobs here, people would move here. Because Landry didn't have to go into a runoff race, he and his transition team had extra time to plan. Within hours on his first day in office, the governor called for a special legislative session. One of the
2: first things they do have to deal with is redistricting. I mean being uh, mandated by the court to create a second minority-majority district. That's the first thing that they're going to be taking care of. And then uh, they said that they also want to hold a special session on crime. So we'll see what they want to do there, whether they want to basically reverse some of the reforms, criminal justice
0: reforms, that were uh, put in place a couple of years ago. Those reforms were passed by the state legislature in 2017, with strong majorities from both parties. The Louisiana Justice Reinvestment Package, as those reforms came to be called, was aimed at reducing Louisiana's high prison population. It requested more investment in diversionary programs that could bring down rates of recidivism. According to the Pew Research Center, The state's prison population fell by 24% in the five years following the passage of those reforms. The main driver was a drop in the number of people, about 11,000, who were getting convicted for nonviolent crimes. But during that same time period, the number of people in Louisiana sent to prison for violent offenses increased by about 1,400. A special legislative session focused on public safety and crime is likely to be held next month, but even before Landry was inaugurated he laid out some of his public safety goals. The city of New Orleans seems to figure prominently in those goals. Back in November, Landry came to New Orleans and held a news conference at the Superdome, which will be the site of the Super Bowl next year. When it comes to crime, Landry basically said New Orleans has to get its act together before the city appears on that worldwide stage.
1: It's going to happen right here in the city in 13 months. And so the past statistics that a plagued this city cannot be in place when, that's, when Super Bowl and kickoff time comes.
0: As Attorney General, Landry never shied away from criticizing the leadership in New Orleans, often following the MAGA playbook and pointing out how democratically-run states and cities are magnets for crime and lawlessness. But as governor, Landry now has skin in the game. New Orleans is a key component of the state's economy, so its successes and setbacks require the attention of Louisiana's governor. At the Superdome, Landry pledged to give more manpower to a depleted New Orleans Police Department.
1: It's been a steady erosion. Um, The New Orleans Police Department have some great people there. The consent decree has completely eviscerated that department. These folks are going to help to stand up or to stand in that gap until we can get NOPD stood up.
0: Joining him at that news conference was Jason Williams the district attorney of Orleans Parish. When Williams was campaigning for office, he supported policies and programs similar to those found in the reforms passed by the legislature. But in the years following the pandemic, violent crime and homicides spiked in New Orleans, and there was growing public pressure on prosecutors to get tougher on criminals, including juvenile offenders. Just weeks before the press conference, the DA and his mother were carjacked. The suspect was a teenager in high school. On camera, at least, Landry and Williams seem to be on the same page.
1: When Rome is burning, everybody needs to step into action and treat it like the emergency situation that it is. Uh, and the governor-elect is doing exactly that.
0: I asked Dr. Shervenak if that kind of cooperation between the DA and the governor, or any other politically divergent player, is sustainable in these hyper-partisan times.
2: You know, there's certainly the rhetoric during a campaign, you want to be tough on crime, I'm going to We're going to put people away, right? And that this is what's going to solve crime. But once you get in the governing, and you've got to work with other actors, you've got to work with the district attorneys, you've got to work with the state legislature, it's not so easy to, you know, issue these commands and say, this is what we're going to do. So uh, I suspect there'll be some compromise along the way in terms of what he wants to do. Uh, I know that he wants to put away the hardcore criminals, the people you know, the people who shoot others, the people who murder others. Yes, some, some people do need to be incarcerated, put away. The question is, is what about the, the people who are involved in, in drugs or they're, they're involved in nonviolent crimes? What do you do with them? Do you put them away and then throw away the key, or do you offer them some sort of alternative? It's easy to get caught up in saying, I'm going to be tough on crime. But, you know, we've been tough on crime, and we still have more crime, and we still have more people in prison. And so th- where's the balance? That's what you got to find.
0: The optics of that when he was here at the Superdome with Jason Williams, the district attorney of Orleans Parish, what did you think of that?
2: I thought it was smart, uh, certainly smart for the campaign, um, and I think it's good politics. I think cooperation will work better than confrontation. You can attract more flies with honey than you can with vinegar, I guess is the
0: way you would put it. And he threw a lot of vinegar on yes. New Orleans during the campaign, during the campaign. when he was running for, for governor.
2: But I assume that you know Jason Williams went along because he knows he has to go along. The state really has a lot of power and control over the city. The, the city is a municipal corporation created by the state. And so that gives the state the authority to tell the city what it, it can do and what it needs to do. And so... In essence, there was probably no real choice for Jason Williams but to meet with the governor because he does want those resources, you know, that the governor can offer those resources that can beef up his office so that he can basically
0: go out and prosecute uh, crimes that they probably haven't been. Is it too much of a reach to say that there might be an opportunity for Jeff Landry in perhaps turning around the crime situation in New Orleans? Because, again, it's easy to use New Orleans as a punching bag for for crime and, and murder rates, so on and so forth. But now that he's in office, I feel like there could be an opportunity for him to work with New Orleans because New Orleans, for better or worse, it's very much central to the economy of Louisiana.
2: Yes, we are an economic driver for the state. And so that's one reason for him to be very concerned about the quality of life here in New Orleans. You know, New Orleans is a blue dot in a red state. So obviously, you're dealing with Democratic of- officials down here. You know, I, I would assume there's probably going to be a carrot and stick approach that, you know, yeah, we're going to force you to do this, but we're going to offer you these resources to do this as well. So I don't think it's going to be all or, you know, one thing or all another. I think it's going to be a common, because it has to be a combination of things. This is a very complex generational problem. This has, you know, been around for decades. And it's not going to be fixed overnight, and, and no one solution is going to fix it. And so this does offer him the opportunity. I think, you know, he's going to take this on as a task and basically and say, look, if I can turn New Orleans around and fix the problem here, right, you know, we can fix this anywhere. And here's the solutions, right? Here's what our experts did, and here are the policies we promoted, and here are the solutions we offered. And so that would boost his political capital if he were able to do that.
0: Crime is just one issue. Another issue that arguably affects a greater number of people in the state is the cost of insurance. Following disasters like Hurricanes Laura and Ida, dozens of insurance providers have folded or stopped writing policies in Louisiana. As a result, many homeowners have seen their premiums for property and flood insurance soar. It's unclear how the governor can change that, but if he can, that would be a political win money can't buy.
2: Certainly, they have to deal with the insurance crisis. You know, insurance is just getting out of hand for many homeowners. Even, you know, my auto insurance went up 28% for no reason. I, I you know, haven't been in any accidents or anything like that. It's just gone up. Uh, and so that needs to be dealt with because uh, people are either going to have to go without insurance or they're going to have to leave the state. Can a
0: governor affect any of that? That's
2: a good question. I think, you know, Tim Temple, who's recently elected insurance Commissioner has basically said that he would like to kind of deregulate the process to bring in more companies and then offer more competition with the thinking that that might lower premiums. But we'll have to wait and see. The other thing they can do is uh, deal with the federal government
0: um, in terms of reducing premiums for flood insurance. There's maybe some things they can do on the margins. Governor Landry inherits a much different financial situation than his Democratic predecessor, John Bell Edwards. Eight years ago, when Edwards was coming into office, the state's budget was in a hole more than $2 billion deep. By the time Edwards left office, the state budget had an estimated surplus of $330 million. You know, one of the big questions is what they're going to do with the tax code. You know, what does he
2: want to do with that money? Does he want to invest it, say, in infrastructure? Does he want to invest in education? Or does he want to invest it somewhere else? Or does he want to cut taxes and give that money back to constituents?
0: Is it an opportunity or is it a risk that you're looking at a situation that you're inheriting a budget surplus? When
2: Bobby Jindal came in and we had the Stelli Plan in place and and the state was doing fairly well financially and it had some surplus and he did away with the Stelli Plan and we went into deficit and uh, he had all these kind of budget tricks that he was trying to employ, uh, you know, using one-time money to basically balance the budget over several years. You know, the fear is that Jeff Landry might do that, but I, I think he might have learned from that example of what not to do. Um, certainly, you, you know, you've got to be concerned about rainy day funds. We could be hit by another natural disaster, all right? All of a sudden, if you've given all that money away and a tax cut, that money's not there now to help reinvest in, this, in the state and rebuild. So they have, I think he need, he needs to be careful. Spend the money in a way that you think will improve the infrastructure, improve education to attract business here. It's really hard to say. So I'm hoping he doesn't squander it like Bobby Jindal did when he first came in the
0: office. But he certainly inherits a good situation.
2: Yes, he does. He inherits a, a very good situation. It's much different than John Bell Edwards did eight years ago.
0: The former governor was sort of a political unicorn. He managed to win two elections in a region of the country that is solidly Republican. During his two terms, he was the lone Democratic governor in the Deep South. In addition to turning around the state's budget problems, Edwards also expanded Medicaid. And Louisiana's unemployment rate fell to historic lows. All of that while working with a legislature controlled by the GOP. Now with Landry in office, practically every aspect of state government is under Republican influence. But Shervenick says that doesn't guarantee smooth sailing. Post-election, you know, you typically have this era of good
2: feelings. A grace period. Yes, a honeymoon period, right? And so I think that's where we are right now. The House leader did offer Democrats a couple of committee chairmanships so as a, a means of outreach to the opposition party, which is a good sign. But... When priorities are set and decisions are being made, that's when divisions will begin to arise. And so we'll have to see where those divisions are. And it's not just between Democrats and Republicans. I expect that Republicans eventually will factionalize
0: as well. We don't know what how they will or what those factions will be, but disagreements will arise. The Democrats don't affect any policy because of the numbers, right? I mean, I'm fair to say that. That is,
2: that's fair to say that uh, Republicans can pass anything with a majority vote. And then there are some tax bills that need a supermajority and they've got it already. Right. So Democrats have no, no sway in that. They have, unless, you know, they, they, they do have a couple of committee chairmanships, I'm not sure how that's going to play out because the Speaker of the House determines which bills go to which committee. And so they may just bypass those committees that have Democratic uh, chair
0: chairpersons. I don't know yet. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, but for all intents and purposes... Purpose, they're, they're on the sidelines, really.
2: For all intents and purposes, when it comes to a vote in the legislature, they can vote their conscience, but it's not going to affect the outcome of the, uh, of the vote. You know, if, if Republicans are united... And, you know, that'll be the job of the leadership, House leadership, Senate leadership, and also the governor.
0: If Republicans are united, that Democrats are basically on the sidelines. In the run-up to last year's elections, Dr. shervenak described Louisiana's Democratic Party as being lost in the wilderness. Since then, it seems the party has gotten deeper in the woods. Their candidate against Landry in the gubernatorial race barely got 26 percent of the vote, compared to Landry's 52 percent. In his concession speech, Sean Wilson urged his supporters to look to the future.
1: Don't give up on Louisiana. Don't give up on this great state. Because we've got a lot more ahead of us, and it's up to each and every one of us to show up and vote and make a difference when that time comes.
0: But when it came time to turn out the vote for that election, Democrats had a poor showing. In a deeply Democratic city like New Orleans, voter turnout was around 15%. Granted, overall turnout was low for the election, just 36%. But in the wake of that loss, there's been significant infighting among Louisiana Democrats. You said Democrats are deep in the woods, lost. The party itself, a lot of the members within the Democratic Party in Louisiana have called for Katie Bernhardt, the chairman of the Democratic Party, to step down because of what happened with the latest election. What happens from here? I mean, it seems like it's in total disarray. I'd say with, at this point it is in total disarray. I think they need a complete overhaul of
2: leadership uh, in the state Democratic Party and that with new blood will come new ideas, the ability to find talented individuals they think can run for office and, and run as a Democrat and appeal to voters, because that's one of the jobs of the state party is to make sure you get people registered, attract uh, talented individuals um, to run for office, right? raise money for those individuals. Um, you know, I, I think that the the national party just threw up its hands and said, "We're not giving any money to the you know Louisiana Democratic Party because obviously you guys don't have your act together." And of course, that resulted in them being crushed in the in the governor's race. You know, Landry's getting fifty two percent of the vote. The Democratic his a Democratic opponent, only got 26% of the vote. Wilson. Yeah. Democratic turnout was just deplorable. Democrats don't seem to have any real candidates on the horizon that can appeal to the the electorate here in in Louisiana. Uh, We're seeing a big decrease in Democratic registration, an increase in Republican registration. We're almost to the point where uh, Republicans are going to outnumber the Democrats in terms of registration. That'll be a first in the state's history.
0: I find that surprising. I feel like that should be already, but... Well, because a lot of people are...
2: When people don't necessarily shift from one party to another, party's kind of an extension of your ego and part of who you are. And so they kind of, they'll move to the independent status, Right. And then, oh, I'm not a Democrat anymore. I'm an independent.
0: And there's a sizable independent population in Louisiana. And that's the fastest growing. Yeah,
2: so that's the fastest growing category. So they're moving into independent status. And then after time, after voting Republican a number of times, they may decide I'm going to register and identi- uh, not just identify but and vote as a Republican, but register
0: as a Republican.
2: There's not a real lot of party switching, per se. It's more of moving into independent status as a halfway house.
0: So let me get that clear, though. So oddly, in a ruby-red state like Louisiana there actually is still more registered Democrats than there are registered Republicans. But we still have a high population of independents.
2: Yes, because the we, we call them the legacy Democrats, that they've just been Democrat their whole life. They're voting Republican, right? But there's no need for them to change their registration because we operate under that open primary. And you can anyone can participate, and you can vote for whoever, whoever you want. Now, there is talk about The governor's talking about moving to closed primaries. Well, then, if those Democrats wanted to vote for Republican candidates, they would then have to change their registration from Democrat to Republican, because otherwise, uh, and, of course, it depends on what the state legislature says. If they want to move to closed primaries, do they allow independents to participate in those primaries, or do they leave it up to the parties to decide whether they allow independents to participate in their primaries? So you know there's lots of variation when it comes to primaries but so we still have some legacy democrats there but we uh, we're it, it's like this and it's just you know slowly moving to where we will see the number of republicans outnumber the
0: number of democrats 30 years ago it was actually democrats who dominated louisiana politics in 1991 there was only one republican who held a statewide office well, it's a different Democratic party today than it was then. Uh, back
2: then, it was a much more, uh, I guess what we would call blue Dog conservative Democrat that, that could win office here in in the South and Louisiana. They have since switched to the Republican Party, and any of those liberal Republicans have switched to the Democratic Party. So we've seen what this ideological sorting in the parties. If you're a conservative, you're a Republican. if you're a liberal, you're a Democrat. There used to be this ideological Diversity in the parties that just doesn't exist anymore. So you could have conservative Democrats and Liberal Democrats in the same party, but today that just doesn't seem to be the case. John Bell Edwards is your he's your archetype Democrat who can do well in a Republican state. Would you right. call him a blue dog? I would Democrat? call him a blue dog, yes, absolutely. Somewhat liberal on economic issues, somewhat conservative on cultural issues. He's anti abortion, he's pro gun, you know, but he's also anti death penalty, right? He's He's pro
0: increased minimum wage, so and he had fairly good approval ratings too, yes. during his terms.
2: Yes, I think the last when we la- the last time we did it, I think he was at forty percent approval, forty percent disapproval, twenty percent that they didn't know. So he, th- th- those aren't great numbers, but they're not terrible numbers. They're not Bobby Jindal numbers. So John Bell Edwards is your archetype for a Democrat, and but for the progressives. Democrats, they're not very happy with
0: that model because of his stance on abortion and on gun rights. It's a volatile mix. To gain any ground in Louisiana, Schurvenek says Democrats will likely have to reach out to communities and populations they've typically bypassed. One thing that Democrats need to do is appeal to the kind of non college
2: educated working class folks. It seems that, you know, Donald Trump is kind of transform the Republican Party uh, into this populist party. And Louisiana has a large non-college educated population. And so Republicans are making much better appeal to those folks than Democrats are. And so Democrats, they need to talk to those folks in the rural areas, not just in the urban areas. So that's why they need to travel out to these folks, go to meetings, present themselves, yeah, I'm a Democrat, this is what we can offer you, this is what we represent. It's going to have to be real grassroots, like basically starting over again, just like the Republicans had to when the Democrats completely dominated the state. They were out in the wilderness, and then basically they attached themselves to Ronald Reagan, and then basically Reagan made the appeal to Southerners that it it was okay to be a Republican. Uh, It was okay to leave the Democratic Party because the Democratic Party had left you. So for Republicans it was more of a top down process. Start at the presidential level and then work your way down to the state level. For the Democrats, for them it's probably going to have to be a grassroots level and then work their way up. They they can't stop anything in the legislature. The only thing they've got going for them now is the construction of the second minority majority district which will more than likely elect a democrat. So we'll go from five Republicans and one Democrat in our congressional elections to four Republicans and two Democrats. And it actually impacts national politics more than it impacts state politics because of the very thin margins that Republicans have in Congress right now. So they're going to lose a seat and Democrats are going to pick up a seat. So that's where that's having an impact.
0: While Louisiana Democrats try to find their way out of the woods, Governor Landry and the Republican-run legislature can operate without much opposition. And at least for the next four years, Landry and the GOP will own the wins and losses in Louisiana. You, know, you can't point fingers anywhere else and say,
2: oh, we weren't able to get it done because these folks got in our way or blocked our, our, you know, our proposals. The governor has to take responsibility. And, of course, he gets the gravy if he does good and he gets the grief if he doesn't. So it works both ways. In New Orleans, I'm Ton Trung for WWL Radio.